We are the leaders of tomorrow. To ensure we're well prepared, we need to engage each other in thoughtful conversation and build a more empathetic understanding of the complex world in which we live. I'm your host, Akash, and you're listening to A Point of View. COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on the global economy, but its impact has also been felt at a local level in communities across the world. In the US alone, one in 17 people have been infected and one in 1,000 people have died as a result of the coronavirus. Since one year ago, the race for a vaccine has been on. On today's episode, we'll chronicle the journey of producing the COVID-19 vaccine, starting from the sequencing of the virus's genome to lab testing, to clinical trials, to approval, and eventually the ongoing process of mass distribution. We'll examine heterogeneity in government response and separate vaccine fact from vaccine fiction. My guest today is a wannabe Bollywood actress turned resident physician. In her free time, she enjoys playing soccer, catching up on The Bachelorette, and spending time with her family. She also happens to be my sister. Please welcome to the show, Jasmine Apple. Thanks for being here, Jasmine. There's no place I'd rather be. And on that very genuine note, let's jump into the discussion. After over a year, global efforts to produce a COVID-19 vaccine are beginning to pay off. Before we get into exactly how the sausage is made, it's worth taking a moment to understand what exactly a vaccine is and how a vaccine actually works. I think that's a great um, question to start off with here. So vaccines are really an important concept um, in terms of preventative health throughout the world. They're developed to help against infections, which can be caused by their viruses or bacteria. They help us develop immunity by imitating an infection in the body. So as our bodies mount an immune response, they produce cells used in fighting infection. For example, T lymphocytes, which are cells that attack infected cells, and B lymphocytes, which produce antibodies. Now you may be asking, well, what is an antibody? An antibody is essentially a protein that our immune system makes to precisely match the shape of an invading virus. You can think of it as a, a lock and a key system. So it helps to identify these foreign bodies. Now, the body is then left with a supply of these memory T and B cells after it's exposed to an infection or a vaccination, and it remembers then in the future how to fight that disease if it's later exposed. It's important to keep in mind, though, that it can take a few weeks for the body to produce these important memory cells after a vaccination is received or after you've been naturally infected with some sort of disease. Right. Now, at the time of recording, there's been seven vaccines that have been authorized or approved uh, related to coronavirus throughout the world. Two of those have been approved in both Canada and the U.S., being the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. While these two are both mRNA-based vaccines, China's approved three different inactivated vaccines. Russia's approved both a non-replicating viral vector and a peptide vaccine. There's many other various types of vaccines in development as well, including one from Novavax, which is a nanoparticle vaccine, along with the AstraZeneca replication-deficient viral vector vaccine. Point being, there are a variety of vaccines out there related to the coronavirus. And my question to you is, what exactly makes the mRNA-based vaccine different or unique from the various others that are out there? We don't have the time and nor do I really want to go into all the different types. So let's try to keep it nice and basic here. 
one type of vaccine. It's called a live or attenuated vaccine, and it contains a weakened version of the living virus or bacteria. Now, the issue with these types of vaccines are that they're not suitable for people who are immunocompromised. This is where the mRNA vaccine comes in handy. Now, with the mRNA vaccine, instead of putting this weakened or inactivated virus or bacteria into our bodies, we're actually putting in a code, feeding our cells a code that instructs them on how to make a protein or a piece of a protein. That, in turn, then, is going to trigger an immune response inside our bodies. So we're putting in this sequence or this code that's telling our bodies how to make this antibody. So in other words, COVID is basically a monster that can only be pierced by a steel sword, and a vaccine would be practicing the production of steel swords so that when the monster comes around, you're prepared to strike it down in record time. Is that uh, an appropriate analogy? Exactly. That's, that's a great analogy and a different way to look at it. Now, specifically, the COVID-19 mRNA vaccine is giving instructions to our body on how to make a spike protein. And this spike protein is what is found on the surface of the virus that causes COVID. Wait, but why would it make sense for your body to produce the COVID spike protein as a result of the vaccine? This will trigger our bodies to produce an immune response. So our bodies will start making an immune response to this spike protein so that in the future, if our bodies were to be exposed to COVID, they already have now this antibody that identifies that spike protein and is able to attack it. The other question that comes to mind is if you're encoding a spike protein to be made, wouldn't your body then mount the immune response and you feel sick as a result of that? Wouldn't you get sick as a result of the vaccine? So it's not uncommon with a lot of different types of vaccines that your body does develop some mild symptoms as it's starting to mount this immune response. Some of these can be fevers, chills, muscle aches. But when we compare these to the severity of symptoms that one would experience if they were to be infected with COVID, I think I would take my chances with the vaccination. Great. And now that we have an understanding of what vaccines are, Perhaps we can get a little bit into the COVID vaccine specifically. Maybe just first of all on how the COVID vaccine compares to past vaccines. So perhaps vaccines against SARS or MERS or the mumps, whatever it happens to be. How is COVID and the vaccine development process this time being different than in times past? If we look at vaccine development in general, um, traditionally a vaccine can take almost 15 years or more to develop and with the pandemic now we've noted that we have been able to develop a vaccine within you know 10 months to a year and a half here for administration so the timeline and development has been one thing that's been drastically different that's ridiculously fast and i guess apart from the timeline how has the process changed so that's another great question um they're still going through all the same steps of development um, from your preclinical information through your clinical trial phases and then approval from the FDA onto large-scale production. Or I guess any regulatory body, depending on what country you live in. Exactly. And could you break down those clinical phases? I understand there's three phases of clinical trials. 
And that's really where you determine how effective the vaccine uh, is. Is that is that right? Exactly. There are three kind of phases of clinical trials. But important thing to note is prior to the first phase, um, there's something called a kind of preclinical phase. And that's where we lots of studies are done in laboratory settings and to try to figure out how to go about developing this vaccine. Luckily, with with COVID, we had so much information from previous preclinical studies with the SARS and the MERS um, pandemics that we knew that the spike protein was going to be really important as a target for the development of this COVID vaccination. It's like a flashing light on the COVID uh, virus. And we got to shut that light off. Perfect. And so those three clinical trials, getting back to that, what are each of the phases and what do they mean? So phase one is essentially checking for the safety of the vaccine. It's given to a small number of people in a generally healthy population at increasing doses. And this helps us to gain some early information in regards to how well the vaccine is working to induce an immune response in people. We then move on to phase two, which typically includes more people and provides some additional information on the common short-term side effects and risks associated with the vaccine, along with dose-immune response relationships. Finally, we enter phase three, where the vaccine is generally administered to thousands of people in randomized control trials. So I thought maybe we could switch things up a bit here, and, and I'll throw a question your way, Akash. There's a lot of risk associated with starting to mass produce vaccinations that have not gone through extensive clinical trials. Although they've gone through the same safety and efficacy rigors, um, the timeline upon which they're developed is shortened drastically. So what kind of incentive is there for pharmaceutical companies to invest research dollars into funding the development of these vaccines? I think there's two different aspects to this question. The first one has to do with the payoff that comes as a result of successfully developing the vaccine. If you are the pharmaceutical company that is able to manufacture a billion doses, you're going to make a bunch of money considering that these doses are selling for $19.50 in the case of Pfizer and around $32 for the case of Moderna per dose. So there's a tremendous profit incentive that's driving these companies. The other angle uh, is this idea of a long-run economic game being played with all these different pharmaceutical companies. Only the companies that are successful in these clinical trials are going to be the ones who get to sell the vaccine to governments and get the profits back from their investment. And so one thing that's very important for governments to do is to de-risk the venture of doing R&D for these vaccines. One of the ways they did that was through Operation Warp Speed, for example, in the United States. This was an initiative where the U.S. government pledged $9 billion to different pharmaceutical companies in order to uh, invest in, in research and development for these vaccines. So when governments are fronting the money in development and governments are also promising and pledging to buy doses from these pharmaceutical companies, you're able to create a system in which you de-risk the investment into a vaccine and you also have a sufficient payoff that merits these pharmaceutical companies actually going ahead and making these uh, investments. 
One thing I'm a little bit curious about is the nature of demand and supply. When it comes to vaccines, and at least in the current status quo, demand is heavily outpacing supply. Given these constraints, how can mass distribution be coordinated in a manner that's both efficient and equitable? So equitable distribution and uptake is really essential for developing herd immunity. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with herd immunity, it's when the vast majority of a population are vaccinated, lowering the total amount of virus that's able to spread within a population. As a result, not every single person needs to be vaccinated, but a good percentage of them do to keep our vulnerable groups who can't receive a vaccination safe. Now, in regards to equitable distribution, we can already see that Canada's immunization response plan has enabled this, where those that are at highest risk are getting immunized as quickly as possible. It's beginning with limited doses prioritized to people such as elderly, residents and staff of long-term care homes, frontline healthcare workers, and those living or working in elevated risk um, or high-risk conditions. Now, secondly, in regards to efficient distribution, well, really there's no lack of competition in this industry with regards to vaccine development. There's already over 50 vaccines and clinical trials, including AstraZeneca's. Now, what's unique with AstraZeneca's is that they're really one of the only ones who have spearheaded this global initiative to be able to distribute the vaccination to low- and middle-income countries, whereas companies like Pfizer and Moderna are distributing at $15 to $20 per dose, AstraZeneca is targeting a $4 per dose vaccination. So with both equitable and efficient uh, strategies, we'll be able to get this vaccine to the populations that need it in a timely manner. It seems like one of the major hurdles that still remains, even if you have a vaccine that's both equitably distributed and efficiently produced, is that not everyone will want to take it. In fact, there's many people who might feel that these vaccines are unhealthy, are unsafe, or simply feel uncomfortable with the prospect of taking them. We're going to play a lightning round game where I'm going to ask you a series of questions regarding the vaccine, and you'll tell me whether they're fact or fiction. First question. Is there any way that the COVID-19 vaccine can give you COVID-19? Because this is an mRNA vaccination and we're not actually injecting a live or attenuated, weakened virus into the body, there's no way that the vaccine can give an individual COVID. So it's fiction. Would people who have already tested positive for COVID-19 have immunity and therefore not need to get vaccinated? That's another great question. Now, there is this belief that maybe natural acquired immunity, so immunity from having the disease itself, is better than the immunity provided by vaccines. However, as we've seen, natural COVID infections can be severe and deadly. So I'm not going to be one who's going to take chances on that. At this time, we don't know how long someone is protected from getting sick again after recovering from COVID. So we don't know how long natural immunity lasts, and it can vary from person to person. Some early evidence is suggesting that it may not be very long, which is why the vaccine is important, even in individuals who have had COVID-19 infection. Will receiving the COVID-19 vaccine cause you to test positive for the virus when receiving a viral test? 
If you have received the COVID-19 vaccination, you will not test positive on a COVID-19 test. Could you test positive on an antibody test? You definitely could. This is because antibodies are used to assess the body's response to either a COVID-19 infection or vaccination. So these antibody tests are used to assess the body's immune response and how many antibodies are being produced over a specific amount of time. Could the current COVID-19 vaccine protect you against a future strain of the virus? This is something that has been recent and developing. I'm sure a lot of us have heard in the news that there are new variants or strains of the COVID-19 vaccination. From what we know at this point in time, this vaccine is still effective against a variant strain, but we continue to sequence these new strains to ensure this. Will receiving an mRNA vaccine alter your DNA? This is fiction. mRNA does not enter the cell nucleus, and this is where the DNA is housed. Because of this, there is no way that mRNA can damage the DNA. This is a classic. Can the COVID-19 vaccine cause autism? That is definitely fiction. Now, this widespread fear that vaccines increase risk of autism originated from a study that was published in The Lancet, which is a very prestigious medical journal. It was published by a British surgeon, and it ended up being completely discredited due to lots of errors in the study itself and other ethical violations. Several other studies done, and there is no link found between vaccines and the likelihood of developing autism. Aren't there any major side effects associated with the vaccine? Perhaps even long-term side effects of which we're not quite yet aware? It's not uncommon for a vaccine to have some minor side effects. Some of these things include fevers, muscle aches, chills, and fatigue. This is absolutely normal and expected as our bodies are mounting and developing an immune response. One of the major side effects and risks of any vaccination is an allergic reaction. This is also known as anaphylaxis. If this happens, we have medications to help control it. But again, it's very, very rare on the scale of one in a million. And on the long-term specter? Vaccines continue to be studied long after administration and first development. So the long-term side effects are likely very rare, but we don't have the research or the evidence to say whether or not there are any at this point in time. Isn't even a minimal risk associated with vaccination too much to justify taking the vaccine? I would ask you, what is the risk of you acquiring COVID and having a severe reaction that may require hospitalization or even lead to death? And are you willing to chance it? I'm chanting with the vaccine too, no? Based on the studies that have been conducted in about 44,000 participants, we know that the Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 vaccine was 95% effective in preventing COVID-19 beginning one week after the second dose. Sounds like quite a bit better than chance. Now, Jasmine, to close things off here, 2020 has certainly been a roller coaster of a year for everyone. Uncertainty continues to loom, whether in regards to the continuation of support payments, the development of a vaccine, or a return to some sense of normalcy. What parting advice would you have for our listeners as they enter the new year? 
I think we all need to give ourselves a huge pat on the back. It's been difficult for each and every one of us. And I applaud everyone out there for doing your part in helping to prevent the spread of COVID-19. I think moving forward, we have to continue to appreciate the little things in life and perhaps look at this as a reflection of those things that are most valuable to us. In terms of immunizations going forward, I would really encourage everyone out there when the vaccines do become available to the general public to not be afraid of getting vaccinated. If anything, getting vaccinated is helping to protect not only yourself, but others from the spread of COVID-19. And hopefully we can go back to a new normal in the near future. I guess you'd say it's worth the shot. Good pun. Thank you very much for your time, Jasmine. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you all very much for listening. Happy holidays, and we'll be back in two weeks. Thank <laughs> you.